Please take your Bible and turn to that uh, John chapter 4 again. I, I did want to be clear, I, I evidently wasn't, uh, when talking about Jonathan Scuba, instructor. As far as Jonathan knew, he was not saved. Uh, he said, Dad, I had no reason to think that Scott knew Jesus as his Lord. He had a Bible, and that was his wife's church, Colonial Baptist, and, and so on. And, uh, and that, again, was disquieting. Jonathan, who had talked to him about the gospel and had loved the man for uh, what uh, he meant to him, but uh, had no sense of peace in his heart where Scott is today. So I wanted you to know that. And it was Jonathan who opened the door and bore witness of, of the Lord to him. And uh, the pastor used his Bible. It's one of these things, you know. I often say that. Don't live your life in such a way so when we're standing around at your funeral, we're wondering if you are in Christ or not. And that's what it was. The pastor had his Bible. There was a couple underlying verses in John 16, 33. He tried to, this piece, I live with you. He tried to make the whole sermon, but he didn't really know. So, uh, so I wanted to be clear on that. Well, I wanted to uh, uh, talk to you this morning about worship. And I've entitled the message, uh, Worship, Enjoying God Every, Every Single Day of the Year. I begin with uh, A.W. Pink. Uh, Pink, a writer of Another Day, wrote uh, voluminously of the glorious faith that is ours. And he wrote, I fear much of the term, much that is termed worship today is fleshly rather than spiritual. And that it's external and spectacular rather than internal and reverential. And if that was too... A number of decades ago with A.W. Pink, how much more does that seem to be true today? Worship, enjoying God every day. Too many people on the introduction, too many people today uh, think they've worshipped God simply because they sat on a pew on Sunday morning, right? They just occupied space. I, yes, have you, where I've been to worship today. What did, I sat, you know, my 18 inches or 24 inches or whatever, how many... You know, you think of that from football stadiums, how wide they make the seats, you know. Uh, I, they took up space, so I worked. No, that, that doesn't necessarily mean you worship. Or that they lit a candle, or they sang a song, or uh, something like that. Uh, Jesus tells us this is not worship. These can be vehicles for worship, but in and of themselves, they're not worship. They're not worship. They're not. You can be up, down, all around and do all these kind of liturgical type things and never worship the Lord. For you see, worship is not some sort of external thing. It'll leak to the outside and those things can be a part in enhanced worship. But in and of themselves, just because you go do that doesn't mean you worship. Remind me of a football coach I had. We got so tired. We had not a very good season and he was always calling the same play. And then we got in the huddle, it was up the middle, around the end, and punt. Up the middle, around the end, and then punt. And then occasionally mix it up. Up the middle, well, that didn't work, but we'll surprise them. We'll do it again. Up the middle, you go, like, oh. <laughs> up the That didn't make for a winning team, and that didn't make for uh, winning a game, and nor do the actions that we go through make for real worship. It isn't. It can be up the middle, around the end. You know when to stand, sit, and you can sort of have your mind in a fog. That doesn't mean you worship. That's my point. Worship, uh, you should know, is the most glorious activity that can take place in your life. Worship. Worship. The dogs in your home 
The cats, the parakeets, the squirrels in your trees, they don't worship. They do exactly what God made them to do. That's it. And in that, it brings glory to God in that they're creatures that enjoy the same world and earth and atmosphere and nutrients that we do, right? But they just do it. We are made differently. They have relationship and fellowship and sweetness of relationship and friendship with the Lord our God. Think of Abraham. He was called the friend of God. Worship, I say, is the most glorious activity that can take place in a human life. The Westminster Confession of Faith, that great confession of hundreds of years ago, asked the question, what's the chief end of man? What a great question. What am I doing here? What's it all about? And, uh, and they, then they answered. Some of you are familiar with the confession. You ought to get that and read that. It's a great teaching tool for children. And it then answers it. The, the great, uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God either uh, in, by enjoying him forever or enjoying him for and enjoying him forever. It was Piper who says, by enjoying him, that hedonism that, that Ron and I love about uh, Piper. Glorify God by enjoying him forever. Enjoying him. That's why I say worship is enjoying God every single day. Don't have to wait till pastor says we have worship service. Next week we're going to have worship service at Susan's house. I guess we have to wait till next week to go up and down and all around and then we'll worship. No. It's a 24-7. It's all through the week. It's not in a certain place. We're to worship the Lord. And if you've not come to, uh, in my early Christian life, I had no idea. I didn't understand this at all. But the longer I live, the more I realize my whole life is a worship service. It should be adoring the Lord, celebrating Him. He walks with me. He talks with me. I celebrate with Him. I rejoice in Him. And, and I do so with great passion and intensity. It's the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him for others. In other words, we are made to have the sweetest relationship with God by enjoying Him. That's worship. That's worship. Our text this morning is the key passage in the whole Bible, or you might say New Testament, pertaining to the nature and necessity of worship. It's here that Jesus discusses worship, and he tells what it is and how it's to be done. And so I need that. I like it real simple, because uh, I easily get lost and confused, but if it's really simple, I might get it, and it may stay with me. I don't know if you feel like that, but I do. I'm like, Lord, thank you for that. Uh, and it's done real clear here. Well, there are three questions to help us understand helping you to become the genuine worshiper that God the Father is seeking. It's rather an astounding thing in our text. And uh, as we read in uh, 4, uh, particularly verse 24, the Father is seeking those to worship him as such. I mean, it's an amazing thought that God the Father is seeking men and women whose hearts are right, who seek to worship the Lord, uh, in the manner prescribed, in spirit and in truth. Wow, that's amazing. That's an amazing thought. Three questions. Now, and so let me urge you, don't miss out on the greatest satisfaction in life. It's, it's better than uh, a rocky road. The men we've been studying Ecclesiastes, we've been reading Tommy Nelson's book in Ecclesiastes. He keeps going, he must love rocky road because he talks about in life it's uncertain, death happens, surprises, blah, blah, blah. Don't go home and die. Go out and you have some rocky road. He says it all the way through the book. So you know that he loves that, you know, like that. But that's not the greatest satisfaction. Even kisses from a granddaughter, and I love those from my granddaughters, as great as that is, or, or being with our family or being together. Those are not, those are not 
the greatest thing, some of the greatest thing, and don't miss out on the greatest satisfaction uh, in all of life. And that is to, to adore and to learn daily to worship and to walk with him. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. That's worship. That's why God made you. That's why God made you. If you're trying to cram, cram your life into a puzzle spot that doesn't quite fit, maybe you're, you're, not, you're not living to celebrate and to worship and adore and to fellowship with him all day long. That's why he made you. Well, let's ask three questions, helping you to become the genuine, the true worshiper of God that God is seeking. Well, first, what is worship? <laughs> That's helpful. That's helpful. I, I, I find these basic questions in life are good to talk about a lot. There was a day in which uh, I was uh, department chair of the pastoral uh, ministries division in a college, and I couldn't get over, after the first year having the department chair meetings with the dean, all the time we were talking about, we'd begin meetings like, who are we and what are we doing here? You know, are we, we're not making widgets. What are we doing? What's our purpose? And we, we talk about that all the time. They keep it right at the forefront. And I go, like, I was amazed by that. I thought we all knew that. Now we're way past it now down in the details. But I learned something about it. It's valuable to bring the main thing here and to keep talking about it. Why? Our tendency is to check out or we're not there or we're far away or something, right? Amnesia. And so here's the question. What's worship? Well, first, what is it not? I already said it's not attending a worship service in and of itself. Okay? Some come in and get their card punched. Pastor, can you punch my card? I was here today. I want to be perfect. You know, they may have been here bodily, but maybe they weren't in any other way, right? Even in a beautiful building. And don't you love that? You're caught up in the aesthetics. and Look at the stained glass and the music and all that. Right? It can help, but that's not necessarily worship. So, uh, number two, it's not going through the ritual of a worship service. Stand, sit, up the middle, around the end, punt, you know, stand, pray, give, listen, uh, listen. No. Can be, but not necessarily. No. Uh, three, it's not merely emotionalism. Oh, I feel so good. It salves my conscience by showing up. You know, I go, and oh, I feel so guilty if I don't show up. As if showing up in the salving of your conscience is uh, that feel-good feeling, you know, having joy, or I cried, you know, like I cried. And sometimes it, we live in that kind of a strange world. Well, uh, well, yeah, he cried, she cried. They must have really meant it, you know. Like, <laughs> that's a, we're about that deep, you know. Like, you know, crying over strange things, you know. I can see a strange movie and be moved to tears on that. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean necessarily your worship took place. True worship can create tears, of course. I'm not saying that. I'm not against that. You see what I'm saying? There are times where my eyes have welled up, my heart's just, I thought it was going to burst. There is an emotional response to true worship. But just to have an emotional response in and of itself is not worship. Well, what is it then? Well, it, first of all, you should know that if you lived in the 15 or 1600s, and if you did, you'd be very old right now. Right? You'd be quite ancient. We'd have to help you in and out more than the rest of us, maybe. But if you lived there, you wouldn't even know the word worship. The churches and the chapels, they didn't have worship service at Grace Community Church, 10 o'clock. Right? You wouldn't even know that word. Why? Why, why is that? Because they called worship worth-ship. Worth-ship. And, and, and maybe we've lost something by that because that in itself describes more adequately than our word that is a conjunction of it, worship. Uh, you had meant by worship, by worthship, that you were ascribing to God his true worth. 
You would give glory to him as you sang great hymns and praises and some of the great songs of the faith. God teaches us the word, then we sing them back to God, and we carry those. Luther was some of, some of the great pastors of, uh, in the church were also great hymn writers. And uh, Luther used to say, you know, I study and preach my sermons, but it's my songs that my people leave and they sing all week long. And they're singing the great truths of God and of salvation. And I find that's true. I, I find myself singing and songs and this, and I can't even remember what I preached three weeks ago. But I'm singing these songs and, and worshiping God and telling, great is I, Martha plays, great is thy faithfulness on the keyboard during the offertory. You know, and it, it brings back so great, uh, Lamentations 3, great is thy faithfulness. And, and uh, on and on and on, the songs of worship that John and our team led us in. Uh, ascribe to God his worth, his glory, his nature. And uh, it reminds me of it, you know. And the ups and downs and battles of life. And life has some twists and turns and some crazy chapters, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's quite a journey. And it, you know, and we're going forward with it. But wow, wow. And we think of that even in the life of our Hopefully in a week or two we'll get the word from the bank. I know we're in this strange holding period where they're doing the appraisal. We pray, Lord, give us a good appraisal and it'll justify all the numbers and so Mike can begin building. Well, we're in this and everything. We had the final walkthrough, uh, the banker walked through Thursday with uh, Roger and they loved everything over there. But, it, you know, you go, part of the journey. Well, we thought this was going to be a year ago. Like, I don't know if we would have signed on. We have really inadequate facilities here, but we thought it was only going to be, what, six or eight months maybe. You know, we, we need a nursery to attract young family. And suddenly we go like, what a journey God's taken. We couldn't have seen it. But God's timing is perfect, right? And so we ascribe to him, and we need to know that he's faithful, and it reminds us of God before us who can be against us. We sing these great truths. And so we praise him. And when we, we pray to him, and then we give of our offering, we, we gather to give. That was the thought, to express his worship. He's the potter, we're the clay, that's the right order, and, uh, and so on. And so, and as the pastors would open the word in the, in the 15th century, and, and then you'd sit there and your mind would be engaged and you hear it, and God's Spirit would impress to you the Scriptures, and in your heart you'd be right there, yay and amen, how true. Oh God, I've fallen short. Oh God, I love you. Oh God, I'm amazed. And that was worship, it's active. It's a participatory activity. It's not a spectator sport at all as we reflect on his greatness and deliverance. Well, in John 4, number 2, the word used for worship, you should know, means to bow the knee. Worship, you can say at the very minimum in trying to understand what is worship, it's humble adoration. And to be humble is simply to recognize who you are. You're not very much. I'm not very much. Have you noticed that? We're not very much, and we're diminishing. I mean, it's not getting better. You know, like, oh, Darwin, we need your help. <laughs> no, it's entropy. It's downward. It's disorder. It's uh, in the day you eat of it, you shall die indeed. And we live in the aftermath of it, don't we? We, we, we? we really do. And so we're humbled. Humble adoration. He is great, and you are not. And so on. Well, a formal definition. It is a redeemed heart, 
occupied with God. Not a bad word. Occupied. Expressing itself in praise and adoration. I like that. Where are you living? I'm, I'm dwelling in God. I'm occupied in Him. Some will say, oh, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I've never met too many people like that. Although people do sometimes stumble around like they don't know, seem to be with it at all. I don't think they're so heavenly minded, occupied with God, dwelling with God, that they're no good here. I'd like to meet some more people that way. I see too many the other way, right? But we're occupied with, satisfied with God and recognize he is our caretaker and provider and we enjoy that, enjoying him. Second, another formal definition, it's a quiet, reverential occupying of the worshiper with God himself. Another way of putting it. So at a bare minimum then, we can say in the worship service, it should be designed to turn the attention of the worshiper away from man unto God. Away from the one who sings beautiful, melodious verses. You're like, wow, that person can sing. But to deflect that to God where they disappear, or to the pianist, or to the musicians, or to the pastor in the pulpit. Sometimes you don't know motive, and I don't pretend to, but sometimes you just wonder if some churches are built upon the enormous personality of the, of the pastor. Now, are people following Jesus? Are they worshiping God? Are they following the path? Who knows? There's no lion. We can't know, and I'm not, and the Lord sorts that out. But all I know is that the worship is about God. It's not about anyone else. I would wish that I would disappear, and you would hear the voice of Christ through the Word of God, through the teaching of the Word. And the same thing with our music and leadership and everything else, that we disappear, and it's all about Him for this little brief period of time during the week. That's worship. The focus is not the program, it's not the liturgy. The focus of worship is God himself. We should be occupied with him. Well, that's what worship is. What, how does our text help us here is the second question. What does it mean then to worship in spirit and in truth? Now look at 4.23 at this point of the conversation Jesus is having with this woman at the well. Verse 23, but the hour is coming, right at that point, and is now here. Why? Because Christ is standing there, right there, soon to die. When the true worshiper, means there are a lot of false worshipers as, as well, right? True. Will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must. It's a moral necessity. Must worship he says it again, in case we missed it, in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean, then, to worship in spirit and truth? Notice, first of all, for our worship to be genuine, it must be in spirit. Well, what does that mean? I mean this is the crux of the whole thing. We can't miss it here. Uh, it, it does not refer to the Holy Spirit. Um, typically, why? There's no article, there's no word the in front. Uh, worship the, uh, the Spirit. That would be definitive. It would be talking about probably almost always the Holy Spirit. But there's no article before the word. And so we don't believe what Jesus is saying. You must worship in the Holy Spirit. Let me amplify it there by saying it that way. But in spirit means something different. Now, that's not to say that it's the Spirit of God who causes us to be born again, right? It's the Spirit of God who quickens us. And if He didn't quicken us, we wouldn't be saved and we wouldn't worship anyway. 
and it's God's work from beginning to end through the Spirit. But in this narrow sense of what does it mean to humbly adore and fellowship and worship uh, our Lord, enjoying Him all day, every day, uh, at this point, He's being more definitive. It's not by the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus, in number two, told this woman that a new day was coming when the worship of God would, would, would not take place in the temple. The temple worship was the pattern and shadow of Christ. Now, this was shocking. This was a, a shock to the Jews, you know, because the temple was the picture of Christ, the tabernacle and later the temple, the permanent dwelling between the, all the sacrifices and then the showbread and the candlestick and you know, the candle with the with uh, I'm the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, and then inside on the Day of Atonement, the law, the blood, the covering, and all of that, all of that was pointing this people to Jesus, to the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And then when he was on the cross, in case you missed it, the veil of the temple, that thick curtain between the holy and the most holy, torn from top to the bottom, God saying, that way of worship is done. It's done. That pointed to Jesus. Jesus has now died on the cross. He has satisfied God's holy requirements because of our sin. He satisfied the law. That uh, all pointed to him. That was a school. That was like a schoolboy, a, a tutor, bringing us to Christ. And the Jerusalem was the be-all, end-all. They didn't have multiple temples. They didn't have multiple tabernacles. There was one. There's only one place. Now, synagogue, and much of our churches are based upon that sort of synagogue, as two Greek words, means a gathering together, a coming together. The church is an ecclesia, a gather, a called-out assembly. And there would be gathering places all over where there were ten male heads of family in Jewish homes. They would gather, and they would study the word, and they would pray. They were a house of prayer. They were a synagogue. But there's only one temple, one place. And that place, Jesus is telling this woman at the world, that uh, would be no more in just a short order of time. It would not have to take place at the temple. Number three, since God himself is spirit, verse 24, God is spirit. Doesn't mean he doesn't have a body, but it's a non-material body as we think of it. Redeemed men and women worship him, the highest part of their humanity, in their spirit. This is the part of us that was made alive at our new birth. Dr. Boyce puts it this way, nothing is true worship of God except what takes place in a man's spirit. True worship occurs only when our spirit, which is akin to God's nature, actually meets God and finds itself praising him for what? His attributes, his love, his wisdom, his beauty, his truth. So what does all this mean? It means this, that... Listen, you're comprised of more than material. We live in a world that, uh, in the rejection of Christ and God's wonderful word, wants to say you're only material. When you're dead, that's it, you're gone. But it can't be that because that can never explain uh, all the other facets of humanity. Just uh, talking, you can't describe love or justice or truth or anything if we're simply material and you throw you in a hole when you're dead and that's it. No, you're made of material and immaterial. Adam lay there, lifeless, and then God breathed into him, Ruah, the breath of life. And man became a living nephesh, a living soul. So we're, we're material and immaterial. And it's clearly, when someone dies, the material is there, there. It's not functioning. The material is there. But someone, he's gone. Our bodies are the vehicles. This is like a, a, a Chevrolet, right? And it carries about 
very soul, my soul. So I have material and immaterial. My body, that's crumbling, but the inner man is renewed day by day as I walk in fellowship with him. And the inward man, uh, the inward man has the immaterial. There are, there are sometimes they'll call it two parts of it. There's the soul and the spirit. And the soul, the suke, psychology, suke comes from that, it's the emotions, it's the, it's the horizontal connection we have with people, with personality. All of those things are, are of the suke, the soul. And we're all born with that, right? The, the immaterial. But at the, at the new birth, because remember Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know that a man must be born again. He's quickened by the Spirit of God. And Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians 2. It's the spirit that's made alive in us. That's the immaterial part, immaterial part that has a vertical possibility in connection with God. That's the spirit within us, part of that immaterial. And uh, those that are not saved are dead in spirit. They have no relationship this way with God, just this way, horizontally. And one of the great wonders and joys of new birth is that we're made alive in Christ. I once was blind, but now I see and I worship him. I have the capability to do that in my spirit. And uh, when I worship God, it's this part of me, this inner that communes and connects with the Lord my God. That's what he's saying. That's what Boyce is saying. The, that, that, the genuine worship is only that that takes place in the spirit of man. And we praise God for his love and his mercy, his kindness, his sovereignty, his He's amazing, he's beautiful, he's glorious, he's mysterious. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how do you explain that? One God, three persons, forever joy. I can't, it's beyond me. Now there's one more aspect that it just seems to me when we talk about the Spirit of God. And I have a friend that wrote a long dissertation on it because he was really convinced that to worship, true worship, to worship God in spirit meant simply this, that number four, uh, it points to engaging uh, in this adoration with the totality of our being, with the totality of our being, with passion, with spirit. I mean, we worship God uh, with, with from the heart outward, not only vertically, uh, but we go with their, we're all in kind of thing. We're all in when we sing. It doesn't mean some people are more expressive. I mean, I saw it in my own home. My father, German, engineers, they go way back. You know, he's excited, but deep inside. <laughs> but my mother, you know, it's very different. You know, she was very demonstrative in her expression. And yet, my father was earnest in things, and so was she. It just expressed it differently. And there are uniquenesses in that. And so I think when we genuine worship, if we're going to worship in spirit, is that vertical part of us that, that it's the totality of our being. Whether it's this much or this much, it's never half-hearted. Never have it. God hates lukewarm. You know, he hates that. He hates that in my life. I loathe that. Either be in or be out, but if you're in, be in. You know, the, the church at Laodicea, uh, Jesus talks about, you've lost your first love. You're not either hot nor cold, and, and so I want to spit you out of my mouth. God hates that lukewarm. God is, is so demonstrably passionate in everything he does. Everything. Look at his display of his love for us at Calvary. I mean, that is unbelievably demonstrative. Who, I like, God's going to, I mean, the angels are like bated breath. Well, I can't believe what they're seeing unfold in glory. Looking at the, the love of God for lost sinners. He's dying for the, the Son of God, the Creator. 
that God is, is displays with, with passion and technicolor, whatever it is that he's in. He's a God of beauty, a God of glory. And it's part of his glory. And so when we worship God, a genuine worship it means that I'm all in. I mean, my mind is engaged, my heart is there. I'm not, I'm not going through the motions and thinking about my plan later in the day. And it takes discipline to do this. We all have schedules, we all have things that need and all these kind of things. And to say, Lord, prepare my heart first for worship. When I get there, may I just be focused on you and not a thousand things that call me. I mean, it takes discipline of the mind, so we're just thinking about what pastor's saying, what the word is saying, in the songs, the words. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged. I'm not just up the middle, around the end, and punt. That's not worship. And so I think it's this wholehearted, that's the blank there anyway, it's a wholehearted activity with spirit. And we say that, don't we? We, we speak that way. We, we speak that way. I mean, today, you guys, uh, I said to Carol, John, John was like jumping up and down, shaking my hand, and I go like, Hey, he, he, he bebopped away, and I go, I, go, I said to Carol, oh, they have such energy as <laughs> I didn't use the word, but it, it reminded me of this. We, a lot of times we go like, wow, those kids have spirit. That's what it means. It means, wow, they're, they're really engaged here. They've got energy. They, and it's worshiping God with our spirit, with energy. If not, notice five, note, if you admit spirit in your worship, the result is what? Dead formalism. And we've, have, have you ever been to a, a liturgy or service? That was like, holy cow, that was a funeral. Nobody knew it. There wasn't a body there. <laughs> I know none of you have done that probably. You've been there, but holy moly, that's just, like, well, i got to get out of here. This is, that's uh, without spirit. Well, Jesus said, if, you're going to, your spirits, if your worship's going to be genuine, it must be in spirit. A spirit that's quickened in salvation and one that has heart, it expresses itself to the Lord, whether we're reading the word or praying or serving or whatever, uh, or, or giving. But second, he doesn't leave it there. It says a worship must be in spirit and in truth. I like this. It's two points. I can handle that. For a worship uh, be must, to be genuine must be according to truth. Aletheia, truth. We must approach, and what's that mean then? So, uh, it means we must approach God truthfully. Truthfully. Yeah, you know, he knows everything about us. He knows what kind of scoundrels we are. He knows our mixed motives. Even our best motives are mixed. I hate to tell you that, but it's true. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. We don't have to pretend to be a goody-goody when I come to worship. He knows what we are. He does. And he loves us and couldn't love us more. What security, what, what wonder, what glory. In fact, look, we are his project. Let's put it back to where it belongs. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good work. We're his project. He saved us. We were lost and far away. And we, we are rebels at heart, haters of God. Read Romans 1. And God saves us. He's making trophies of grace for heaven. And this thing called progressive sanctification, making us day by day more like Jesus. Two steps forward, one back, two forward, one back, and all, all of that. And so when we, we worship God, we come before him truthfully, honestly, wholeheartedly, and openly. I think it means all of that. And just, Lord, you know who I am. You know what you're doing. You know where I've stumbled all over this week. Lord, I pray for the First John 1, 9 again. I've worn that out in my Bible. And... Don't give up on me. You're working in me. I'm your project. Oh, what a project I am. You know, <laughs> you know ever hear, anyone ever say that about you? 
I'm sure people have said that about me. Oh, that's Terry. He's a project. <laughs> He's a project. I don't, I don't know what that meant exactly in those, a lot of years. But anyway, um, we're his project. And uh, look, I remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 15. He said uh, in regards to, to those that were attempting to trick him, the Pharisees and Sadducees, their lips honor me. Oh, they say the right things. But God who knows our hearts says their hearts are far from me. God knows the heart, the heart, the heart, the innermost sense of our hearts, and we're exposed. And so you might as well come just openly, honestly, truthfully before him anyways, right? And, and cry out for mercy again. Join me there, right? The challenge is for us to resist having non-heart worship. I want my heart soft and impressionable and, and so on. So I'm sure... Worshiping a truth means that, that we worship honestly. But second, a worship must be according to the Scriptures, right? John 17, 17. God's Word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Set them apart in truth. Thy Word is truth. It's truth. The blessed Scriptures. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And as I ingest and read the Word of God, maybe you're reading it through as a church uh, family. I, I hustle to stay up. Uh, with that, we're in First Chronicles now and, and reading parts of John. You know, to stay up with it. I'm reading the more. Look, people need more of the Word, not less of the Word. It's cleansing. It'll wash you. It'll draw you. And, uh, it, and God teaches truth. God's Word is truth. And then He tells us who He is. The great questions of life, right? You know, who is God? Who are we? What's it about? Where are we going? It's only the Scriptures that accurately. Only the Scriptures. The book, the whole book, and nothing but the book. And then he tells us how we're to approach God. He tells us that. You know, you just don't mosey in and approach God. He's not just the, hey, you upstairs, the guy up door, you know, the man upstairs. He, we, we are to approach him reverently, cautiously, humbly, uh, uh, bending the knee. The word means to bow the knee. Uh, uh, anything but prideful uh, in our worship of him. Ask Hophni and Phineas. Lord, Lord, do you have a prescribed way that we're to approach you? Remember they put strange fire and God struck them dead? That's illustrative for us. God, when he prescribes the way for us to approach him, yeah, he, he is God and we are not. He said, I'm this, you're this, and this is how you approach me. And here Jesus is telling us in spirit and in truth according to the teaching of God's word. And and in that, then, we must understand truly that our worship must be Christocentric. I am the way, the truth, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, there's the word, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. And so it's exclusive. It's exclusive. Our world hates the exclusivity of, of Christ, but it doesn't matter. Truth by its very nature is exclusive. It's either right or it's wrong. Think of it with uh, making change for money. You know, somebody goofs up. You give them a, a $20 bill, but they give you change for like a five. You're going to say, hey, where's the rest of it? Eh, what's it matter? You know, <laughs> it's right for you, right for me. And, you know, and we go like, put my cash right here. Every last penny of it, you know. The truth is narrow. We say, ah, what's it really matter? There are a lot of ways. You know, ah, uh, No. We, we, we understand what that is. Truth is narrow. 
it's right or it's wrong. It's left or it's right. Uh, when we think of, of truth. And Jesus is the only way. If there's any other way, Jesus never needed to come, never needed to die. He could just say, you know, go follow uh, Islam. Bow down five times a day to Allah and all that nonsense of that. That is one of Satan's greatest ploys today. I see it rising all over the place. Uh, that's false. Uh, that's false. There's a lot of false-isms. And materialism and humanism and secularism and all these isms and Buddhism and all of these things are false. I am the way, the truth. So it's Christocentric. It's in the truth of Christ. That's God's method to approach him is en Christos, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. There are those today that are attempting to say that all people everywhere are saved. No one's going to hell. Well, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. Wide and broad is the way that leads to hell. And many are on that path. Many. Many. Read Violet's book again if you need to. Give that out to your friends. Many. Wide and broad is the way that leads to dams. Narrow is the way and few be it that find it. God calls all. The general call of God. Repent and believe the gospel. Wow. It's narrow. It's narrow. It must be through Christ. Well, note then, finally, number four, if you admit truth in worship, then worship will become an abomination to God. A complete abomination. Maybe a syncretetic, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, blah, 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 blah. As you've been reading through the Old Testament, if you had, that's the, that was always the plague in, in uh, Israel. You know, they had the worship of God, but then they had on all these high spots, the worship of Baal and the worship of Moloch and the worship of all crazy life-sacrificing kids. They're burning up their kids and all this nonsense is evil. The abomination in life was worse than the, uh, the Canaanites. They had temple prostitutes. And, pro and, uh, and you go and you, you, have, you have sex and you, it's like worshiping the Canaanite gods. The perversion and the grossness of all that. And God finally carried them out of the land because their sin was worse than the Can Canaanites. Well, we'll add a little of this and a little of that and this and everybody gets happy and oh, isn't that great? No, the truth of God in worship is simple and straightforward. In fact, uh, I really believe God loves its simple heart worship. We strive for that at grace. Simple heart worship in spirit and in truth. Otherwise, I think it's an abomination. Well, third and last question quickly. How can we become those whom the Father seeks to worship? To worship Him. How can we? Did you know that first of all, you must be born again? You can't worship God if you're a child of the devil, if you're in darkness. You can, but it's an abomination to God. There's no relationship, no connection with God Himself. And you should note that there are three great, and it's a sermon in itself, some evangelists, I'm sure, somewhere preaches, but there are three, three great musts in John's gospel. And this is the first one. Uh, let me just recap that for you. The first one here, uh, in 3.7, you must be born again. Jesus said that, Nicodemus. That is the necessity of new birth. That's the Holy Spirit's part in doing. You must be born again. You must be. Every one of you must be. I must be. The people everywhere must be born again. The necessity of new birth. The second must, the great must in John, is 3.14. The Son of Man must be raised up. And this is the necessity of the cross for redemption. This is Jesus' part. Isn't that interesting? 
the Spirit of God in, in John 3. You must be born again. That's the Spirit that causes that. And then a little bit later, the Son of Man must be lifted up. There's the necessity of the cross. That's Jesus' part. And then in our verse for today in 4.23, all who worship God the Father must be, the third one, it must be in spirit and in truth. That's the necessity of true worship. And that's the worship of God the Father. So you must be saved, first of all. But B, second, daily spend time with the Lord as you read your Bible and pray. Daily, begin by, Lord, open the Word, and, and I'm kind of tired now, and uh, lethargic, and i got a million things to work. Let me, let me just focus on you for this time. Crowd these other things out. Speak to me through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. I want to adore you and find in you peace. Uh, they that stay upon the Lord will enjoy peace. I want to stay upon Jehovah. And don't rush. We rush, don't we? We tend to rush, 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 rush. Old Puritans said God's acquaintance not quickly made, you know. And our short prayers owe their value and strength to the longer ones. You know, like I'm always praying on the fly, you know. Okay, that's all right. Pray without ceasing, praying on the fly. But do you have, do you have time? Do you, do you organize that? The time, if, if God has made you to worship and fellowship with him vertically with heart and truth through the word of God, do you make time to do that? You ought to do that. I pray that God puts that in your heart to do that. Oh, that's so, so great to enjoy him and not to rush. To enjoy, God says, enjoy. Look, you might, as well, you might as well build it in your life now because when you stop breathing and if you know Jesus, you're going to be worshiping him through all eternity and you don't want to be like a kindergarten in it. Now, Lord, how do I do this kind of thing? <laughs> like as you're on your face, you, know, you might as well learn to enjoy that. And, and, and rather than saying to you, when he said, well, why, you never made time for me. You know, like you're so busy, encumbered with so many cares, like Martha, right? Mary and Martha running about doing this, and Mary seating at the feet of the Lord. She's chosen the better part. And maybe just cutting a few things out to make that time. I, I, to me, it's the highlight of my day and, and, and so on. I just love it so much, and it helps me to keep my focus every day. I've said how many times? Uh, it's like the guitar in my office, right? and start strumming that thing, and the thing is out of, out of tune. It's out of tune, and it needs to be tuned every single day. My heart's at. It is. I don't know what it is. I, I'm, I'm sure it's not sweet next to my beautiful wife, but I wake up, and my heart is sort of like twisted up a little. And I, get, I pull the word out, and I begin to read the word. Oh, God reminds me of himself and his glory, and, and you know, I, I'm face to face of the mirror, and I see, oh, what a disaster. Oh, the love of God, he saved. And I end up having a song in my heart, and Lord, sing and make melody and make me a blessing. I'm looking for God's appointment during the day. Otherwise, I'm lost in space. I'm thinking about something wholly different, the pressures and the cares and the finances and, and health issues and, and the burdens of life, right? And God tunes my heart to begin right. I, I'm reminded, wait, he's in charge. I'm not in charge. Hey, you're in charge. You know, I need that. You need that. He's in charge. Whether we live or die, we're the Lord. For from him, through him, to him are all things. It's his story. It's his glory. It's not mine. It's his. So I want to worship him for that. 
And then finally, yeah, you know, how do you, how do, you do that? To become one? S- gather weekly with your church family for corporate worship. This really should be the highlight of your week. There's a way in which when we gather and sing and worship and hear the word and encourage one another just with our presence here, that propels me forward. I, I, I leave with a skip and a joy, and, and, and I, can, I, think, I think I can do another week. I mean, am I the only one that thinks that way? I, Lord, I think I can do another Monday, another Tuesday, by being together and fellowshipping and, and an encouraging word and catching up and what can I pray for you about? And, and God knits our hearts together and we get focused on the mission, make disciples, and, and we leave this place. Oh, it's the highlight of my week. It is. Satan, I'm reminded, will do everything in his power to, to keep you from here, to keep you from walking with, with the Lord daily, uh, getting from the uh, getting up late, and rushing, rushing, and and never time, never for. Oh, he's so happy! Oh, he's so happy to do that because he puts you on the bench. You're kind of like, hmm. you know, in our days, you don't get them back. You ever notice that? You don't have throwaway days. You don't get them back at the end. You don't go like uh, at your time, like Hezekiah, right? Your time. Oh, he turns to the Lord and he weeps and he, okay, 15 years. And incidentally, they weren't good years for him, right? But it's like, hey, it's your time. Get your things ready. You go like, Lord, remember all those days I you know, sort of threw away? Can I have, you know, a, no. No, that's it. So we live each day marching, serving in this journey toward heaven. And your corporate worship, it should be a highlight. You should encourage others together. Be faithful. Um, I, I, you know, I've, through the years, as a pastor that loves his people, and I love you dearly, I pray for you by name. Every one of you, every week, multiple times. And if I know their concerns, I pray even more, Faithy and I. Uh, I leave here, and I know who's here and who isn't here. I don't take attendance. I just go like, oh, I hope everything's okay. I was telling Ron that, you know. And I just, it's just, it's on my heart. And when I study in the Word and when I pray, I'm thinking of you all the time. I'm thinking, Lord, Lord, change me through this. Use it in our people's lives and grow our church and grow us up and be faithful in your attendance. Come prepared. Get some rest ahead of time. Don't stay up till 1 in the morning or something Saturday night. Come to give, not to get. That in itself, a lot of worship, you come to give. We give of our, the fruits of our labor. We give our praise. We give our attentiveness. We give our earnest. We give our heart. We give. We give. He's king, and we're not. Wow. Wow. Well, well how, so what then? What, uh, what difference uh, should this make in my life and in your life? All kinds of difference. Well, let me suggest a couple. Don't, number one, don't confuse the worship service at church with real worship. It can and should happen there, and, and we, we hope that it does here at Grace, but not necessarily, for the issue really is your heart. It's your heart. It's your heart. It's your heart. Your heart can be so filled with bitterness and disappointment and anger. You know, you need to cry out to God, Lord, make my heart tender and soft. I, wanna, I don't want to waste my life and my days. I want to I worship you every single day of my life, enjoying you. Heart issue, heart, heart, heart. Number two, God made you to worship him every day. Not just on one day out of seven. Have you learned to, and I believe it's a learning, have you learned to enjoy him throughout your days? You begin the day with him and then walk with him during the day. That's like Enoch, right? The blessed way, walking with God, enjoying him, and God just took him home, just Come on, Enoch, let's go for a walk. Ah, 
Why don't you come home to my home rather than your home tonight? Just took him home. I love that, don't you? So they will see Enoch in glory all the way with a friend that sicketh closer than a brother. Amen. Number three, worship can only come from a redeemed heart that's occupied and satisfied with God. Oh, wow. If so, you'll find that you cannot help but sing and praise Him throughout the day. I mean, gratitude, that's thanksgiving, will flow from your lips. You have an attitude of gratitude. That's a mark of the Spirit of God who should be controlling your life. Oh, I love that. Don't you love to be around people that are thankful, gracious people, right? Really, that's what God wants you to be. That's, a, you, that's how you're the gospel, written so people can read it in your life. Number four, you can't worship God until you've at least been first born again. You must be. I mean, when the Son of God says something, you must be. And it was one thing when my mother would say, you must clean your room. Okay, she's the authority there. But when God in flesh says, you must be, I'm not sure exactly what's going to follow, but you got my attention here. And God says, you must be born again. The journey begins at this point. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God so displayed his love towards us in this, that Christ died for our sin, that whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord, whoever shall be saved. Oh my, worship then the Lord with your whole life. And I close with these wonderful words from this song that we used to sing a little bit more than, uh, than uh, perhaps uh, we have in recent days. When I look into your holiness, um, the, uh, the writer puts, when I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when all the things that surround me become shadows in the light of you, when I found the joy of reaching your heart, when my will becomes enthralled in your love, when all the things that surround become shadows in the light of you, I worship you. I worship you. The reason I live is to worship you. I worship you. I worship you. The reason I live is to worship you. It goes on, when I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when all the things that surround become shadows in the light of you, when I found the joy of reaching your heart, when my will becomes enthralled in your love, when all the things surround become shadows in the light of you, I worship you. I worship you. The reason I live is to worship you. That reflects my heart by God's grace. And I hope it's yours. Let's stand and be dismissed, shall we? Father, thank you for these clear words. We want to be those that are worshipers of you in spirit and in truth. I pray, Father, that uh, you would teach us much about yourself and that we would learn to find our deepest satisfaction, comfort, yea, joy, yea, thrill, in your presence. Grow us up in these things, Lord. And as we gather then corporately to worship, the excitement of being together and, and putting our voices together and our praises together and our attentiveness to the Word in your presence, 
Oh, it just raised the ceiling as we worship and adore and celebrate you for the reason we live truly is to worship you. Thank you so much. Dismiss us with your blessing. Make us a blessing to all that we should meet. Encourage us as we carry forth the gospel into your mission field this week. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dismissed.